Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, the combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight announcements, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez. Bloody Elbow podcasts are proud to be sponsored by RevGear. They've been a pioneer in the industry and have grown into a formidable brand and true leader in the MMA gear market. Bloody Elbow listeners get 20% off. Go to RevGear.com slash Bloody Elbow email sign up. Welcome back and thank you for listening to episode 270 of the Level Change podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always, by my ma- by, by, by my amazing co-host, Victor Rodriguez. And today, we're going to look back at UFC Vegas 82, even though we only picked one of the fights. And we're also going to look back on Bellator 301, where we saw not one, but two new champions crowned. We're also going to discuss a couple of headlines, and we have a great bonus section today with Tim Bissell, who is back to update us on the results of the 2023 Kyushu Basho that's going on right now. There are still five days left, so he's going to come back next week and he's going to give us the last update of the year. Now, I noticed that I said bonus But today is free episode day, so our bonus section is actually going to be free. Victor, we love free, don't we? We do. I just, I just, I'm I'm a little disappointed. You know, look, Victor, that's, that was my slave name. My new name's Bubba. That's, I like that. Bubba. Yeah, you gave me, you gave me a new one. I like this. I've, I've been christened now and and this, I I will only respond to that. So I appreciate it. (laughs) Bubba. Mm-hmm. Can I say baba boo? Yeah, sure. Fuck it. Your show. Do what you want. <laughs> I <ain't> stop. <laughs> so it's your any- house. <laughs> so, anyways, let's take a look back at Bellator first because wow, that was a, a pretty damn good card too. And I gotta say, I saw so many mixed results about the pacing. I thought it was fucking great. That card moved like fire considering it was 16 goddamn fights. It moved quick as shit. So we ended up losing one of the fights. So it, it actually, in practice, was 15 fights because the Tyrell Fortune versus Marcelo Golm fight ended up canceled because Tyrell Fortune ended up with an illness. But the rest of the card... I mean, especially those prelims, they were trucking right along. And I loved that. That was fucking fantastic. Let's see, which one stood out? Kuramagomedov, Ramzan Kuramagomedov defeating Randall Wallace. That was a gnarly fight because, holy crap, 
Kuramagomedov just basically ragdolled Randall Wallace the entire two rounds. I mean, it only went into 349 of the second round, but that eight minutes and 49 seconds was basically Ramazan just destroying this dude. Damn. <laughs> yeah, it was a nice performance for him. And everybody thought Randall Wallace was, was going to do better. You know, he's a 30-fight veteran going up against a guy that was, a, you know, had 11 fights under his belt. And he got stomped. Like, really stomped. So that was excellent. Even the ones that went to decision were pretty damn good. So if you didn't get to see Bellator 301... It was a great card and it's worth going back and watching. I know because I watched every single fight because I covered it for Bloody Elbow. So it was a good fight. We we did mention it was a sneaky good one. They mm-hmm. had some they had some pretty good um names on there, but it did fall under the sort of um you know, before before the actual fights take place. Yeah. Sometimes you get this inkling where you're like, this looks like this is gonna be a lot of good performances, but not exactly great fights. Um, I was starting to get a bit of that vibe off of this one, but no, no, it turned out that this was good and fun and great. And we had some shocking moments. So, uh, hell of a way for that to go, you know? Yeah. Uh, Tim Wilde got a nice third round TKO over Mike Hamill. And that was a good fight too. Very action packed. Let's see here. Mateos Matos had a gnarly rear naked choke over, uh, Richard Palencia, uh, Carrie Taylor Melendez, um, she came back after a three-year layoff and snagged a guillotine over uh, Sabrie Singul. I, th- I hope I'm saying that right. And so Carrie ended up taking her record to 5-0. and oh. And if you go to my post on this, it's still uh, writing on the front page. You can find all of the results here. And I also included GIFs and clips of every single fight. So you can actually watch all the finishes if you missed it, missed out on this or you don't have Showtime or whatever. Worth watching. And, and I very rarely say that about Bellator cards, but this one was a great one. Timur Kizriev uh, over Justin Gonzalez. That was that was a blowout. <laughs> there there was no two ways about that. That was a blowout. Denise Kielholtz and Sumiko Inaba. That was a good fight. And Denise Kielholtz did very very well. I was happy to see her get the win because I'm a big fan of her and she's so pretty. Uh, again, Tyrell Fortune fight with Marcelo Gom was off. Then we get to the main card. Patricky Pitbull got stomped 50-45 on all three cards. And I didn't have a problem with that. He got beat the fuck up. His face was a <laughs> bloody mess. Alexander Shabili or Shabli. Wow. He busted him open in like three different places. He was bleeding all over the place. It was nasty. And AJ McKee and Sydney Outlaw. AJ McKee did the same thing to Sydney Outlaw. 30-27 him from the bottom and busted him up from the bottom. I mean, they called the doctor in like three, four times to look at Sydney Outlaw. He was bleeding so bad. That mat was a goddamn mess at the end of this, this card. Victor, during the Outlaw fight, oh my God, it looked like a horror movie. 
You know, it was crazy that we had such a wildly bloody weekend on this front because even in <laughs> just like I want to go back to that pitbull, the pitbull fight. Yeah, there we go. Now I'm doing it. Uh, that that was the way that Shabili was just piecing him up, carving him up with the boxing, going after him, dropping him like. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen either of the Pitbull brothers get, you know, outwork like this. And, yeah, sure, Pitbull was rallying. He tried to do um, the best he could in there. But, I mean, it was it was a hell of a fight back and forth. As far as Sydney Outlaw, man, I just – dude is tough. But much like we thought about the main event, right, tough is not enough. Sydney Outlaw, great ground game, you know, very good offensive submission game, but – and you put him in there against McKee, who is a problem everywhere. And he's also got the gift of youth. And he's also got that dynamic athleticism. Bad things might happen to you. And bad things did. Yeah, for sure. Then we get Ruffian Stotts, who defeated Danny Sabatello. That was a good fight. Very action-packed. I liked it a lot. Uh, uh, it went 29-28 on all three, and I didn't have a problem with it. I could have seen that going to a draw, too, because it was it was pretty close. So then we move on to Patchy Mix defeating Sergio Pettis. Wow, that was a good fight, too. But pa- it was all patchy, pretty much. I didn't Drowned see, him. I didn't see Sergio having very many moments in that fight. He dragged that man into the deepest waters possible. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I've seen Sergio flustered like that. It was, when, when was the last time you've seen that happen? I haven't. I, I, don't, I don't think I have. Yeah. I like Sergio a lot, but I'm a patchy mix fan. <laughs> I like his wild style. And it I've seems been, like yeah. he's settled down quite a bit and is now no longer that wild child. No, I, I, I've, been, I've been on the patchy mix train for a couple yeah. of years now. He actually... <laughs> He actually, I'd said something and I always worry, you know, like when, when you say something about someone and then you check your, your, your mentions or your notifications and that person has a reaction, I always worry is it's like, okay, is this going to be something where like, oh, that's nice. He noticed it and liked it. Or is this going to be Shannon Rich? What am I doing? (laughs) For the record, for the record. Shannon Rich. Yeah, there's a name from the past. Blast from the not past. A, not a bad guy. Has not been rude to me. It's just, it's a little weird. You popping up, like, you, you're Wait. searching your name, bro. I didn't mention you by tag. Like, it's a little, so, yeah, Patchy. Uh, Wait a minute. Yeah. Shannon Rich, not a bad guy. Are well, we talking about the same Shannon Rich here? Not Shannon a bad the guy, Cannon Rich? Not a bad guy to me, I should okay. say. Then I was going to say, Shannon Rich, the guy that went out there and worked fights, more than one fight, several fights. Come on now. I'm okay. You know what? In the grand scheme of things, especially in this sport. Yeah, I guess eh, it's okay. Scummy, yeah. scummy. Yeah, but I mean, like, all right. Am, am I going to close a business deal? My, would I buy a house from the man? Fuck no. <laughs> but yeah. you know what I mean? Like, we're keeping things civil online. Eh, it's okay. That's fine. All right. Then we get to the main event. Jason Jackson defeating Yaroslav Amosov like he was fucking standing still. We were so wrong about Jason Jackson because guess what? Tough was fucking enough. Ugh, boy. Yeah. Toughness only takes you so far. We say this every time. God, we were so fortunate mm-hmm. with this card. We were so fortunate yes. with this weekend. And it's a shame, man. Because I don't think, you know, like, I don't know what the ratings are like for either of these events that we had this past weekend. But 
man, like these, this is, there's a series of performances there that you just wish everybody could see, you know, you wish somewhere that, that, that there weren't as many people that have been turned off by the grind and the monotony and the, uh, just the, the, all the ick that comes with MMA fandom. And be like, hey, no, no, guys, look, seriously, this, this shit is good again. You need to see this. And here's another example of that. Indeed. So now we are, don't worry, folks. We realize Bellator got bought by PFL. We're going to discuss that in a little bit. I was holding off on that. So don't worry. We haven't forgotten about y'all. Now we're going to look at UFC Vegas 82, which on paper might have been the worst card of the year. I, I know I've said that several times this year, but I mean, it seems like they just go from bad to worse. And on paper, this thing is awful and it wouldn't have drawn flies and it probably didn't because of the name value or lack thereof. Even the main eventers didn't carry a whole heck of a lot into this. We're going to start at the top because we need to discuss Paul Craig for a minute. Mm. Where do we put this guy? Because he is not offensive enough for either division he does he doesn't move his weight around enough he's a big boy but he's not physical enough you, you how are you that big and that broad and have that kind of some you know submission grappling game but you can't do anything else <laughs> you sound like a disappointed dominican dad look at him six foot three he can't hit a baseball what am i doing what am i feeding this guy for that's what, what are you doing like. living in my house like that's what you said that's like. what i feel like what you know you're eating my food when are you gonna start bringing <laughs> home the bacon okay start putting some food on the table instead of eating it off the table We're all doing right all your fucking laundry look and at I'm your a, mother's I hands like paul craig I do. I like him. I like the fact that he spoils so many cakes. You know what I mean? He shits right directly in the middle of a cake. He'll pull out a submission in the last goddamn 10 seconds of a fight and flip you the bird and dare you to say something. And I have always liked that he's able to get those last minute uh, submissions, those last minute wins. But when that is the whole crux of your game, there's a problem. And it's starting to show. And we have a clear ceiling for Paul Craig now. We do. Wow. Because uh, Brendan Allen was ranked number 10. So that means Brendan Allen kept Paul Craig out. Because Paul Craig came into this, I believe he's ranked number 14 or 13. And he couldn't step up the ladder. Perhaps we need to do it in one rung increments. Maybe we don't send him three you know two or three up the up the ladder but brendan allen he was winning the fight from the moment the the ref said go yeah but see what you just said there as far as the um the lack of offense mm -hmm. or at least the lack of consistent offense from craig that's kind of why we didn't pick him right right i mean we were we were really thinking he's more of a reactive fighter yeah he's got those hail marys you can't just judge someone look fighters grow people change and evolve yeah sure but do they because some of them don't and paul craig has it It looks like his game stagnated yeah. man he dropped down to middleweight great but did it fix his problems in a fundamental fashion no it didn't and it won't you've just changed the scenery you 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 probably are now uh, getting hit by guys that may not hit as hard as some of the guys who were fighting at 205. But he's not any more nimble. He's not any faster. He doesn't carry any more power. Does his power translate at 185 the way it did at 205? 
I doubt it. And it's not like he's using too much of it anyway. So you have a conundrum with a guy that fans seem to react very well to. He's very well liked, um, very personable. He does bring that what if element to fights in a similar way to not so much like Derek Lewis, you know, coming up with the definitive knockout at any moment. But you got something kind of in that vein with the way that Craig's submission game can work. But now you're at a different level. Now you're fighting a guy who's on a win streak a very, very dynamic middleweight who clearly looks like he's been putting all the pieces together on this run. You want to run into that bus? Oh, I don't know, man. This was just a bad matchup. I think that Paul Craig has been lucky and fortunate in some of the stuff that he's managed to pull out at the last minute. But honestly, when we just saw his ceiling. I, I won't say he's not built for the UFC. I'll say he's not built for the rankings at all. And if you're not in the rankings at middleweight, what the hell are you doing? Because that's one of the weakest divisions. I mean, outside of heavyweight, I would say middleweight is the weakest division. I would have to agree. Middleweight is is uh, we've good god, I've I've shot on middleweight so much. And then I, right I don't after to, that, you've like, got uh, light heavy. Light heavy is has gotten a lot more interesting. There's lots of fresh talent in there, but I mean, honestly, it's heavyweight, middleweight, light heavyweight. And then yeah. the women, uh, obviously, bantam women's bantamweight. I mean, you might stick women's bantamweight ahead of of uh, middleweight because it's pretty freaking bad too. But as far as the men's divisions go, Jesus Christ! If you can't cut it at light heavy, and then you move down to a weaker division at middleweight, and you can't even bust into the top ten, what there are you doing? Is. There it is. That's exactly. See, you you just phrased it perfectly. That's kind of the way I was. That's the wave I was looking to ride. That's true. That's it right there. And then it cracks me up when he wa he does his walkout because he used to be very animated when he walked out, but now he's he's latched on to the the persona that we have ascribed to him because he's a good looking guy. There's no two ways about it. He has a beautiful face. Uh, big blue eyes and that square jaw and the perfect beard and the perfect nose. He's very well put together young man. And I think that lends itself to part of his appeal to the gals love him. And the guys seem to like what I like about him, that he can pull something out just like that. And he's just, he just seems like a good dude, too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, you have this thing where he's got the personality. He could potentially, you know, break out and do, like, a podcast or do, like, TV. I'd love to see him doing uh, analysis yeah. at the desk. I'd love to see him break down fights and see what he's got to say. I, I'm, I'm very confident that he would acquit himself rather well. Uh, other than that, though, I mean, shit, man, he, he needs to start looking for an exit strategy or change something up dramatically because I don't know, like, what's he going to do? Improve his wrestling? Imagine that guy shooting a double. What's that going to look like? See, here's what I want to see. I want to see him switch camps. I don't know who he's with right now. I haven't paid that much attention to what camp he's with, but maybe a, a camp swap because what I want for, for Paul Craig is like a new career arc, a Robbie Lawler-esque career arc where he finally figures it all out and puts it all together. Because remember, Robbie went on a really bad run there for a while. When he yeah. was in Strike Force, he was like, win one, lose one, win one, lose one. And then he comes to the UFC, you know, back to the UFC, and it just all fell into place. 
And yeah. he went on one of the greatest career arcs, if not the best career arc I've ever seen. That has to be the greatest career turnaround we've mm-hmm. seen so far. And I so, really do think so. From from being on the outs to like being actual champ and then being a, a walking fucking terror in so many of those performances. Exactly. So, you know, I would love to see that for Paul Craig, for him to just swap camps and get him back in there. I would love to see that for him. I would love to see that for a lot of guys that don't seem to have anywhere to go because one division is too much for them and then they move down and guess what? This one's too much for them too. And that's where I feel we're at with Paul Craig. And my last gripe with Paul Craig and with all of you men that decide that you need hair transplants, them shits ain't working, okay? Oh my God. Paul Craig. You went out there and you got a fucking hair transplant and you got a bald spot on the back of your head that my 17 pound cat could curl up in and oh, still have room. Okay. Uh. I know I said on Twitter it was a small kitten, but the more I look at it, my big fat cat could curl up in there and still have a little mm. room on the sides. Well, we know the feline credo. If I fits, I sits. Exactly. So I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they can make something happen. I didn't even realize he'd gotten transplants. Yes. I just wasn't even paying and attention. Paulo Costa, another one. Sir, your hair still is thinning. Your hair doesn't look like you've done anything to it except dump a bunch of money and paint some lines on your head and probably put yourself through some some pain Uh, how much does this shit cost i don't know because these guys they're not pulling down major money like that paulie he's not getting big big payouts like that well i got your money into that shit what are you doing i gotta tell you the reason why i'm bringing this up again today is because guess what i just saw on mma mania Oh, Abdul Razak Al Hassan is going this week for a hair transplant. He's My they've God. got a picture of him up with all the the he's already been marked up and everything so that they know where they're doing it. And I know that technology is different now and they use lasers and things like that. But the way it was explained to me when I noted that Paul Craig still has bald spots is that they treat as they go. So it's a never-ending process. So as a new bald spot comes up, they go in and they do it again. So you're basically just throwing your money out, constantly having to do this. Guess what, Paul Craig? You just lost. They're just chasing this shit. You know, Mm -hmm. man. You get a little tiny bit of money and you feel like you got to spend every nickel of it for something like that. Man, I'd be spending that on a house or a car or, you know, paying off some bills. But, hey, I'm not one to tell them how to spend their money. It's their money. Do what you want with it. But, man, I just feel like it's a wasted effort the way y'all are doing with this hair transplant. He is so freaking handsome. He could shave it off and just wow. Yeah, yeah, you might as well give in and just shave it. Yeah. I mean, he could totally pull that off. But it's like, no, you you can't do you can't do like Sean O'Malley, go to Mexico and get your dick injections. No, 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 no. This is what we're gonna do. Mm. We're gonna do. We're gonna move the dying hair. <laughs> we're gonna move the, the the healthy hair to where the dying hair is, mm-hmm. and it's gonna be all good. Forget the fact that the soil is spoiled. We're just gonna move along with that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> no, dude, come on. I mean, uh, Paulo Costa. I don't know if he could pull off bald. He's got a baby face, not a man face. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, he's Paul- going to look like one of those uh, used car salesmen from South Florida. So if you shaved Paulo Costa's head, man, I don't think he would be anywhere near as handsome as he is with hair. But I feel like you should just 
let nature take its course because it doesn't look like he did anything even though he had a full transplant. I mean, it does not look like anything changed. It still looks very wispy thin, like he has a little a little crown growing around his forehead and everything behind it is gone. We need to have like a, a, a listicle of worst hairlines in MMA. Oh, I could put that together. Lickety split. Yes, there sir. I'm going to bring that to the table next week. You're welcome. There you go. All right. Look at Victor coming up with stuff. Okay. So anyways, we've, we've discussed what I wanted to discuss on that main event. And that is that Paul Craig needs to really figure out something and i in my opinion i think he needs to figure out a new camp i would love to see him go to att you know me i'm a big fan of att hmm. i don't know i mean listen paul craig he's in scotland you know what's close to scotland what ireland oh you Jesus know who's Christ, a, no. you know who would be a great training not. partner you, you know who'd be a great training partner for paul craig johnny walker where does johnny walker train hey sbg ireland baby i don't even want to talk to you anymore Okay, that's you fine. physically just... with your mouth made the words that said someone should go train at SVG Ireland. I don't want to talk hey. to you anymore. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> All right. So other things that happened on that card: Chase Hooper beat up and submitted Jordan Levitt, who is a pretty good submission artist himself. So that's a good win, I think, for Chase Hooper. Oh, that boy. He's gonna be a dad. His wife is proud. I didn't even know he was married. What? He out here having relations? No. Yes. No, Little that's gotta Chase be a crime. So that, that shit, that shit and has gotta a be baby illegal on the way. Yes, sir. Amanda Hebosh. Oof. Wow. I was not I was so happy to see that knockout. Okay. When did she well, she's found her hands a while ago, but when did she find knockout power? I don't know, man. She must have figured it out somewhere. Maybe that judo strength is translating to uh, to her yeah. striking there. I mean, it takes two. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to, I don't want to be too negative about this. Like, she's still, her striking is still yeah, I know. needs help. But that power is You can't there. fake the funk with power, though. Exactly. Yeah. And if she's finding the target and she's nailing it, like, that still deserves praise. Sure. Um, yeah, I respect it. That, that was, that was a pretty cool performance because she just started outlanding, um, Luana and that was, uh, that was fun to watch, man. That was pretty wild. Yeah. Now, Joe Anderson Brito got a win over, uh, Jonathan Pierce and John, here's, th here's the theme also of this card was that a lot of underdogs ended up winning. Because mm. Jonathan Pierce was not the underdog going into that, but he got he got uh, submitted in the second round. Uh, let's see here. Um, Jose Johnson beat up Chad and Helliger. We mm. kind of figured that. Christian Leroy Duncan defeating Dennis Tulin or Tulinin or Tulinin, mm -hmm. however you Tulinin, just piano keys, Tulinin. <laughs> and that was a, a a sick knockout too in the second round. We had um let's see here. Island Perez defeating Luchi Pudulova after their uh well not their after her scuffle in the back before the fight, she got a black eye from a coach cuz she got into it with um what was her name? Jocelyn Edwards. Jocelyn Edwards. Jocelyn uh, Edwards. And 
Wow, I mean, that's a convoluted story. I would recommend going and reading up on it on Bloody Elbow so that you can see all the translations and everything because it was it was translated for us, thank God. Um, because YouTube translations, wow, I just, you know what? I did not realize how terrible they are. <laughs> fortunately, oh, they, they can be yeah. fortunately we, we have some people on staff that that do a wonderful job transcribing so you should definitely go check that out because there's a lot of moving parts in that story but anyways island perez got the win and then she did her little twerk thing up against the cage and created a whole kerfuffle <laughs> on twitter but if you're looking at island perez twerking on the cage, fully clothed, in celebration of a win. And you're calling that, uh, how, how did the, the, the gal put it? She said it was uh, an embarrassment to MMA. It oh, ruined God. MMA's image. Mm -hmm. If that is the straw that broke the camel's back and not when Dana White slapped up his wife and kicked his wife on video, if that is what sets you off, you have a problem. I, it's just with all the scumbags, as I mentioned earlier, right? You got dudes that are hitting their wives or running people over in cars. You got people committing fucking murder. Okay. And you want to sit here and be like, oh, this woman was putting her butt cheeks in a clapping motion. Okay. So what? Good God. People just get into the weirdest pearl clutching habits mm -hmm. for no reason, man. That's not even something you need to bring up. Just keep it moving, man. You don't like seeing it. So what? Fine. Then just 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 say that. Just say that with your chest. Hey, man, I don't really like the way she's twerking. She's not really putting her back into it like she ought to, or she's lacking in cheeks. I'm not saying that's what happened in this case, but like if these are the critiques that you want to lobby, do that. Complain about that. Mm -hmm. but don't do all this other weird shit, man. You're going to get couching it in this whole like, oh, now that it's in. Yeah, sure. There's always going to be much more. Um, there's always going to be much more and much weirder criticism levied towards women than towards a lot of the shit that men do. It's like, is this really where you want to draw that line, bro? For real? You got actual sex criminals out here. You got actual, like, real certified sex pests that have done time, and they're out here fighting. And you doing this? No. Fuck out of here. All right. So that's going to wrap that up. We have one story that we are going to discuss right quick, and that is that the PFL bought Bellator after months and months of speculation. But there's a catch here, because... There was this report and lots of rumors going around that the purchase price was somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 to 300 million dollars. And that might be the case, but no cash exchanged hands because it was all done through stock options. <laughs> hey, a deal is a deal, man. And here's the other thing. Paramount still owns a small piece. They maintain a minority stake ownership. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Don Davis said. So let me let me grab some of the things. First of all, they're referring to the five branches because there are now five branches of the PFL. And he calls them franchises. There was a lot of buzzwords in their, yeah. their press release. Lots and lots of buzzwords. But basically, what it comes down to is that Bellator will be a one-off event product that will have eight events a year or a series. Um, 
the the five franchises are like the let me see here uh pfl league season pfl pay-per-view super fights pfl challenger series pfl international leagues um and bellator so <laughs> and then they said this this is the funny part they said that uh PFL can now rival the UFC since 30% of each of their rosters feature fighters in the top 25. Mm. But John Nash went through and checked and guess where the lion's share of the top tier fighters are. They're with the UFC and PFL is wildly off in where their, uh, their 30% markers are wildly off. Um, that's why we love John Nash because he will go through and he will double check your work. Yeah. See, okay. You got to understand something. Having the most ranked fighters, that does not indicate that you're already number one. What is your market share look like? What does your revenue look like? What brand partnerships are we talking about? You got a nice cash infusion from the Saudis. Congratulations, Bubba. You're doing an amazing job. Keep it going. You got a massive coup in getting one of the Paul brothers roped in. You got Francis Ngannou roped in. You got a whole lot of amazing talent. Your million-dollar tournament idea is pretty great. You retain the services of one Kayla Harrison that you can continue to use as a very marketable athlete for good reason. You now have Bellator, which has an amazing assortment of fighters and is capable of putting on some gangbusters events. But now we're going to pigeonhole them and have maybe eight or nine events a year? Do we need to have it like that? Why so little? Why not more? Well, they are also going to mix the the fighters, though. Uh, All Bellator fighters are now under the PFL roster and can be used across anywhere. So I imagine we're going to see a lot. And of course, you know, Don Davis was on Ariel's show yesterday and he discussed Kayla versus Cyborg and he discussed Jake Paul. He even discussed extending an offer, a big offer to Nate Diaz. And if I'm not mistaken, the quote was, if there's $15 million on the table and two fighters want it, why don't they both come to the table or something along those lines? But the word... 15 million was put out there. That's a Mm. lot of fucking change. Okay. I like that. I don't like everything that Don Davis was saying. As a matter of fact, I don't like most of what Don Davis was saying, but I do like that part. Yeah. It's enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, uh, it's energetic. Uh, I I don't know. (laughs) Do you have it? Exactly. Do you have the thing you are promising me? What's behind your back? What is that? You sure? You got you sure you got the thing? I don't know about the thing. I got to see the thing, you know? Yeah, you got the million dollars at the end of the year for the tournament winners, but like, all right, well, are you willing well, to have big big purses, especially boxing numbers of 15 million? Uh, who are you splitting that with? Are your tournament winners into that combo? Like first, what's going on? First, I don't think it was for one purse. Let's right. put so that out splitting. there. Yeah, it, the way it sounded was that there would be 15 million dollars to invest in that fight between the two of them. That's a lot of money still. Yeah. Um, the other thing that he said that was um, fa- very interesting to me was that um, Dana White was distressed by this. And I don't, I don't disagree with him. I really don't because 
Dana White also has to sweat this antitrust suit, which has taken a whole new turn yesterday. Because yesterday, we had Judge Boulware do two things. And this is massive. And it will affect PFL because of one thing. Okay, the first thing he did was he denied summary judgment to the defendants. So they can't have this case thrown out on the merit of... Um, it's so wildly unwinnable for the, the plaintiffs that it, it makes no sense to waste the court's time. Judge Boulware says, eh, eh, threw that shit right out. <laughs> and then, and then, because it's very clear that Judge Boulware sides with the plaintiffs. And then he said that injunctive relief is back on the table. And what that means is, and, and the only way it would be back on the table is if the, the plaintiffs win. And he said, if they win that injunctive relief, that he would consider injunctive relief, which means that he himself, not the jury, what the jury is going to do is decide the damages. But what he can do with injunctive relief is he can go in and say, they want one-year contracts from now on, and that's what I'm going to order. That's hmm. a big deal, especially for PFL, because that makes free agency a real thing. That means with one-year contracts, John Jones can go straight over to PFL in one year and fight Francis Ngannou for insane amounts of money. Hmm. That's a big deal. So because of that, PFL actually might be able to compete. But if things do not change, it will be UFC and then about 25 miles down the road, the number two pr promotion, which would be PFL. That's the difference in what will happen in this case. And now that injunctive relief is back on the table because it, it was not on the table. They were going to leave injunctive relief for the second case, which hasn't even, I mean, it is not moving right now, okay? And it's not going to move for a while. Yeah. It would be basically the same thing. Millions of pages of discovery and this and that and everything else. The whole thing that we've been doing since 2014, since December of 2014, when this case was filed, to now. That's how long it's taken, almost 10 fucking years. It's been a while. I think Kung Lee and like two other dudes are left. Yeah, he started with a small army. And now you got like a quartet. Are and you guys then, here for a lawsuit or y'all playing flute? What, what what the fuck is this? This thing has teeth and wheels now. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm just really thrilled about it. But there's an April 8th court date coming right up. So either the UFC is going to settle or this thing's going to go to trial and they're likely going to lose. That's crazy. That's crazy. I'm really curious to see what, if the UFC loses oh. this case, what do they do next? Well, they're going to settle. I mean, I would put lots of money on the fact that they'll settle because this is looking very, very bad. Also, the the judge denied their motion to reopen discovery, too. He, he, he actually had a whole slew of things that he did yesterday, and none of them were in favor of the UFC. As a matter of fact, this whole thing, none of it has gone their way. None yeah. of it. Hard times. Hard times. So, anyways, um, yeah, so PFL buying Bellator, 
probably a good thing. How well they do, who knows? I think they'll do a lot better if things don't go the way that the UFC wants it to go with this this antitrust case. And for all we know, they might go to the table to settle and get declined and in favor of going to trial because this thing looks like the, the, it's going to go straight away to the plaintiffs. Once it gets to trial, it's going to be quick, four or five weeks, and it'll be over. Hmm. So anyways, a lot to chew on there. So that's going to bring us to our bonus content. And Tim Bissell has all the updates and lots of fun stuff. We get to find out what's going on with the angry hamster. <laughs> and uh, uh, and also the guy that's all Wakatakakage, waka or as I like to refer to him as Wakafaka Flame. <laughs> oh, don't you know what? <laughs> don't do that. Come on, man. There's a very confused Japanese man out there going like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> but angry hamster dude. He's the first update in the thing. So if you've been following along with us and you also want to know what's going on with Angry Hamster and with the uh, Oziki Jitters, stick around because the bonus section is free. All right, folks, we'll be right back. Okay, folks, as promised, we are back with Tim Bissell of Bloody Elbow, who is going to provide us the Grand Sumo Championship of 2023 coming out of Kyushu, Japan. He's going to give us the updates. Tim, welcome back. What is happening, man? Hi, glad to be here. Uh, A little under the weather, so you may hear me sniffling and snorfling, but uh, we'll get through this. Uh, We're day 10 of the uh, Kyushu Basho and these are 15 day tournaments and it's all about getting a winning record. The wrestlers fight every day. Uh, so at day 10, we're starting to see people secure their winning record, uh, which is known as a Kachikoshi. So if you get eight wins, you're guaranteed a winning record. That's called making Kachikoshi. And if you do that basically means you're, you're kind of safe. Your ranking uh, is either going to improve or stay the same. So hitting that eight win uh, marker is what everyone's trying to do. And at day 10, we have a, a couple of uh, wrestlers who've, who've managed to hit that. And uh, a couple who've got the opposite, who have the eight losses, the dreaded eight losses, the Maki Koshi, the losing record. So we're starting to sort out the, the winners from losers now and heading into the last five days where we'll see like where everybody uh, stacks up. Let's look back for a second at when we had you come on two weeks ago to talk about this tournament as it opened up. Uh, Some of the questions. Will a new Yokozuna be crowned? Do we have any kind of inkling on that? Not really, unfortunately. Takakesho, who won the previous tournament, was looking to win this tournament and uh, meet that base qualification for a conversation about promoting him to yokozuna he's seven and three right now which sounds pretty good but it's not a dominating first 10 days for him and his three losses uh were quite dramatic two of them saw him fly into the first row what wait what what happens guys go into the seats all the time really and in a couple of his bouts, like he's often throwing people into the seats, which is what you want to see from the Yokozuna. <laughs> but seeing someone like himself going into the seats and being so beaten 
in a couple of bouts is very un Yokozuna like. So that might uh, go against him, even if he does win this tournament. If he does so with a not super impressive record and with those big highlight reel losses, that may count against him. Uh, but the last two days, he's, he's won a few bouts pretty uh, handedly and quite gracefully. So balancing out a little bit. So it, it's very up in the air as to whether. As well, first of all, wherever Takakesho can win this thing, there's other guys doing better than him right now. Uh, but even if he does win it, there's a little up in the air as to whether or not that will still be enough to, to make him the next Yokozuna. Ozeki Jitters! The Ozeki are... Well, Takakesho is one of the Ozeki. The other two are Kirishima and Hoshoryu. Mm-hmm. And those two were very recent uh, promotions to the Ozeki rank. The Ozeki being the rank below Yokozuna. And the rank you have to be to kind of build your case to become a Yokozuna. Takakeshu is the long-standing uh, Ozeki here with uh, Kirishima and Hoshoryu now on his tail. Uh, both have looked okay. Both have looked better than in their previous outings. Uh, Kirishima is 8-2, and two, so he's part of that leading pack. And Hoshoryu is just behind him at 7-3. and three. Uh, Both have had some pretty memorable matches. Uh, Hoshoryu is probably had the moment of the tournament so far, and he was fighting Gonoyama, who was a young kid uh, making his third top division tournament. Uh, Hoshiri is young too, but he's been on the, in the top division for quite a while now, and so he's a, a very established talent. And during their match, uh, Gonoyama was refusing to get set. like he, was, he wasn't putting his hands down first, which is what Hoshiri wanted him to do and was expecting a lower-ranked fighter to do. And this led to a stare-off for a number of minutes. And it was very unusual, bordering on uncomfortable, how long these two were were staring at each other and refusing to get set and go. Uh, so much so that uh, it appeared at the time that the, the referee and the judges were, were kind of like murmuring, to like, come on, guys, let's, let's get it going. And eventually, Goroyama relented, put his hands down for, for the Ozeki, and they fought, and uh, Gonoyama tried to take Hoshiru's head off with some thrusts to the neck. Uh, Hoshiru, uh, he sucked it up and came forwards and, and got the win, uh, pushed Gonoyama into the first row and gave him a long stare down after the fact, which is something you're not supposed to do in sumo. You're not supposed to taunt. You're not supposed to, to celebrate your wins. But he did that looking a lot like his uncle, the, the bad boy of sumo, the former Yokozuna, uh, Aso Shoryu. Um, apparently, Hoshoryu got a bit of a dressing down from from the uh, from the head judge and from his uh, his coach, his stable master. Uh, gave him a bit of a dressing down for for that display because it was a little too a little too uh, over the top for, for sumo. Uh, that kind of intensity in the stare downs, both before and after the bout. Wow. Um, and then we talked about three. <clears throat> we talked about Atama Fuji. Hokuto, Hokuto Fuji and Wakataka Kaje. So right. let's let's hear what's going on with those three. Atama Fuji is showing that it wasn't a fluke. His past uh, oh. tournament where he kind of came out of nowhere and challenged Takakesho for the title. Uh, he's eight and two as well. He's part of our leading leading pack with uh, Kirishima and a few others, and he's looked great. And the the crowd are are really responding to him. He's very popular. He, he also has some expressions like after after bouts, either a little smile or, or a little frown, 
but it's kind of like it's not dramatic enough to be annoying to the sumo powers that be who are, who are so uh, obsessed with uh, these gestures sometimes. Uh, part of that as well, he's Japanese, which which may make uh, some of his um, antics a little more forgivable than Hosho Ryu and his uncle, who are Mongolian. Uh, that's a whole other uh, like level to this when it comes to the politics in sumo. Uh, but yeah, he's looked great. Hakuda Fuji has not looked great. He's two and eight, so oh, he's already wow. he's got a losing record already after ten days. And I don't know if he's hurt or he just does not look as if he's he's been able to. Uh, to build on his really good performances earlier this year. And he's, he's had a bit of a murderous row. He was promoted to Komosubi, the first rank of that upper ranking, those named rankings. And uh, he's really struggled against the the bigger names. And uh, he's probably going to get a hefty demotion after this tournament. Wow. Uh, Wakataka Kage, the former Ozeki. uh, He is in the third division coming back from a brutal ACL injury. Uh, He's three and two. Uh, they only um, have seven bouts in Makoshita, so getting four wins is the is the golden target for everyone there to get a winning record. So he's looked tentative. He's looked as if he's nursing that knee still a little bit and trying trying to win uh, without exerting himself too much. Uh, if he was at full strength, there's no way a guy in Makoshita could get a win off him. So the fact he's lost twice is quite telling. Uh, but it seems like he will achieve his goal of getting a winning record in Makashida and kind of stopping the bleeding as far as the the plummeting he's been doing down the rankings due to him being inactive. Right. So this will this will likely keep him at Makashida and and allow him another two months rest uh, afterwards before the, the New Year tournament and maybe he'll be back to full strength then. It's usually about a year for an ACL injury and uh, he was injured in March. So he probably still has a little bit to go before he's at full strength. Especially with something as brutally physical as this on their yeah. their knees and their joints. You mentioned the moment of the tournament earlier with the stare downs and everything. Would you mind going into a little bit about the, um, I, I, I guess I would call that pageantry a little bit and how they frown on some of the facial expressions. I had no idea about that part until just now and that's that's insane to me that they are literally sort of policing their expressions well it's about stoicism is the mm-hmm. is the key word in okay. sumo you're supposed to appear stoic ah. and the higher ranked you are the the more pressure there is on you to to embody this this stoic symbolism of sumo because sumo is also deeply rooted in the shinto uh, religion mm-hmm. uh, I, this is an area of sumo I want to delve more into and report on more mm-hmm. but I believe some of um, Japan's founding stories founding myths are, are around a god Raiden the lightning thunder god and mm-hmm. and, and him wrestling um, literally wrestling uh, chaotic titan like creatures mm-hmm. and, and the founding of Japan coming out of some of those those battles which which are now immortalized in like the practices of sumo, uh, sumo in days of old was a like a festival thing where it's done to celebrate the some of these early myths of Japan and these early Shinto stories. So it's not just a sport. And if you're the best in the sport or one of the best, it's not like you're an athlete. You're almost like it's almost like a priesthood, like a priestly, ah. um, 
like a title. So you're supposed to represent sumo, you're supposed to represent Japan, you're supposed to represent Shintoism, and you're seen as kind of a a figure which is like an awe-inspiring figure. Like when people will touch you in the street if you're a sumo wrestler because it's considered good luck. Uh, uh, people buy tickets to events where you get to touch a sumo wrestler's belly. Are you serious? Yes, you're, it's if you if you're a sumo wrestler out, and you're not allowed to wear street clothes if you're a sumo wrestler. You have to wear the yukata, mm-hmm. the uh, those old-fashioned uh, robes. And if you're seen, and you have to always have that hairstyle too when you're out in public. Uh, people, if you have a baby, people will put babies in your arms because it's good luck to uh, to uh, be to have your baby being carried by a sumo wrestler. There's events where sumo wrestlers try and make babies cry, and if they they cry. It's considered good luck. There's all this uh, stuff wrapped up in in sumo and in culture and religion and and things like that. So there's a lot of pressure on the guys to to em- embody the Japanese culture and the what Japan likes to know itself as that, that peaceful, reserved, uh, calm kind of stoic presence. Mm. So whenever a guy is a little too amped up. Uh, famously, Hakuo, the Michael Jordan, the sumo, would, a Mongolian, uh, would uh, be very amped up after big wins and really fist bump and uh, <laughs> and yell. And, and that was often seen as a little too much, and he would get dressing downs for that. Uh, so now you see most guys are still trying to toe that line of being that stoic warrior. Takakesho certainly has that in spades. He's very like emotionless out there. You won't see much... From him, uh, other guys kind of more like dance that line a little more, and the Mongolian guys are are a little more prone to just being themselves and not not trying to trying to fit that ideal all the time. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely it's an interesting level uh, to watch once uh, once you really get into the sport, like watching guys and and seeing trying to f- figure out their personalities while watching them being so like. Uh, like hand-strung and, and not being allowed to show off their personalities a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a fun part of it when you get to – when you can kind of see through their veneers sometimes and see them like crack a smile or, or, or show some emotion. It's uh, surprising to me because in this modern day of everything being on social media and everything being digitalized and everything, to see something so steeped in tradition and maintained for so long – because it's been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's virtually unchanged. Yeah, I mean, and there has there's some negatives to that too. Uh, like today's, well, yesterday's bouts. What I reported on today from day ten, there was a bout uh, between Hoshiryu, we've been discussing, and Wakamotoharo, mm-hmm. who's the brother of Wakataka Kage, and. It was an amazing bout. It was only 10 seconds long, as bizarre, but it was chaotic. It was brutal. And it ended with um, Wakamoto Haro trying to do a, a pivoting throw off the edge of the apron. And it's something he's done before. It's a very dangerous maneuver, and it results in both wrestlers going straight to the concrete, basically. And this time, it didn't pull off. Like, as he wanted, he lost the bout because he landed first. But both men uh, hit the ground really hard, and he, he looked as if he was very dazed. And hurt coming off the off the ground. So, part of a tradition is is the the, the ring is very much as it has been for time immemorial, mm-hmm. which includes no padding on the outside. So, these guys are taking some really bad falls off the edge of that apron sometimes, and that's something where, come on, you just 
you need to relax with tradition a bit, I think, and then put some kind of padding down there, like just to kind of protect the athletes. But as you say, there's a lot of tradition in sumo. So any kind of change is is an uphill battle, even when it comes to uh, the safety of, of the rikishi. Okay, just, just a couple more questions before we wrap up. You mentioned something earlier that's got me thinking, and it's basically that if, if I'm interpreting what you're saying right, that even though they win, if if things aren't the way that they're supposed to, if they don't win convincingly enough, there's still an element of what if around them? Yeah, there's style points which are taking into consideration. Style like points. Uh, That's what I'm looking for. Okay, I did not know. Explain that a little bit, please. Well, it's not it's not something which is ever put down on paper. Right. But, but every, all the decisions made about like um, promotions and demotions and and whether or not you can become a Yokozuna or an Ozeki are made by the Japan Sumo Association and the various boards and committees they have, which are largely uh, former sumo wrestlers. So it's all done by committee, and it's everything is hammered out in a in a room where with varying opinions, and and often uh, things taken into account include how does a a wrestler perform, not just uh, the wins and losses they they're able to get. Okay, all right, and my last question, well, I actually second to last question because I have two more. Um, second to last question. If you were to, you know, view all the results up to now and pick out who you think uh, the winners are going to be, like, give me give me your take on the Ozeki. Who's going to be the top dog? It's very close right now. There's the you have those four guys who are eight and two and beyond them a lot who are seven and three and six and four. So the next two days, everything could be, could be completely turned on its head. But as far as like who is performing well. Uh, Kirishima, I think, uh, is would be my pick to win this tournament. He his style is is so fun to watch, and he's been a little banged up in the last uh, couple of tournaments, but he seems pretty back to his best. Where he's at the same time extremely strong and able to go chest to chest and push with anybody, but he's also so crafty, so clever, and so well prepared for everyone he faces that he he just feels like a nightmare matchup for everybody. And he's able to like push you and put you on your butt, and he's able to also just be use his footwork and evade and and have you looking foolish, like uh, reaching for him when you're not there and landing on your face. So Kirishima uh, definitely looking pretty close to his best, and and I think he he's going to have a say in in who wins this. All right, um, who's your favorite? Just uh, who's your favorite sumo wrestler? I'm just curious about that. I have lots. We have, we have lots who we're fond of. Like uh, my wife and I watch watch sumo together most often when when she has time. So we we have some we both really like. And right now Midori Fuji okay. is our favorite. He's the smallest man in the competition. He's five nine, and he which he looks very very small against these giants. And he's seven and three too. So he oh. is um, he is in the in the leading pack right now, and he has just been pulling off win after win against much bigger opponents using really fun to watch and crafty maneuvers. He is a master of something called the Katsukashi. What's that? Which is the under shoulder swing down. So he'll he'll let a big guy grab hold of him and he'll get two arms on that guy's shoulder. And when he feels the big guy leaning too much, he'll hop back and he'll pull that shoulder down and oh. force them to uh to touch the ground and, and lose. Okay. So he's very, very good at, at utilizing this and uh 
today he got a win over Takayasu, a former Ozeki, who is one of the biggest and strongest guys in the division. And he was able to to ride Takayasu's charge against him, sidestep and grab a hold of his arm and do an arm lock throw, like lock up his arm and twist and, and send this much bigger guy into the dirt for a great highlight. That first move that you mentioned, that sounds almost like a swinging neck breaker in pro wrestling. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, kind, kind of same same principle of you know locking the arms and pulling them down but wow that's kind of cool i like that a lot okay yeah. my last question this is the last tournament of the year what happens in the interim of the tournaments especially the interim of the the last tournament of the year i i'm assuming this is an extremely special tournament well it's a. Uh... It's not actually that, but the tournaments oh. follow kind of like an annual cycle. It's just the most important tournament is the one which is currently happening very much in sumo. Mm. And the time in between, it's it's two months in between tournaments. Mm-hmm. And uh, that time is spent training. It's spent doing festivals. It's spent going on tour where all of these guys, they go on tour together and we do exhibitions in different towns across Japan and the, expi- the exhibitions include um, training, where you see these various uh, traditional training methods they do, which is the same thing every single time. It's a lot of just pushing and shoving, and uh, and sometimes it can be kind of brutal, the, the training regimes they do. And they do practice matches, and they'll just go at each other. And it's not full tilt. Like, you won't see guys do the kind of maneuvers you're seeing in a grand sumo tournament, but as a chance for fans across the country to kind of watch and uh, see all the all the top level rikishi like spar basically hard sparring and a lot of that happens in between tournaments and these guys also spend a lot of time on tv shows as well where <laughs> like on japanese variety shows there's often sumo wrestlers uh, doing games or singing songs and, and just having fun and that's okay i mean they they don't frown on that they don't frown on the, the the lack of stoicism when they're out and about no i think when when you're not competing um you're encouraged to kind of uh, show your personality mm. uh, if you go to the official youtube channels you see a lot of wrestlers like um like having kind of jokey interviews and, and having fun uh, but once once you step in the ring you're supposed to be a different version of yourself almost well, all right, Tim, I want to do one thing. I'm going to give you a moment to tell uh, our listeners what you have coming up on Bloody Elbow because you've got lots of neat stuff that you, you have in the works. And then also I want to invite you to come back next week so you can give us the rundown of how the tournament went. Sure, I'd love to. Awesome. Uh, so, awesome. so right now you can follow this sumo tournament every day on Bloody Elbow. I update the results. I, I write a quick analysis on, on what happened that day. And I make lots of GIFs. So if you want to watch actual sumo, uh, but it's very hard to, to find places to watch it in real time. Uh, I make lots of GIFs so you can see some of the best matches, uh, including some of the ones I've talked about today. So find that on Bloody Elbow. And uh, you can also follow along on Substack by following my Substack, which is called Sumo Stomp. Awesome. Awesome. There is a guy that follows me on Twitter. I know you're not on Twitter anymore. And every time I put out anything or retweet your sumo stomps he is all over the sumo stuff he's just started watching 
I want to say last year when you started doing these. So I, I, this Joe out there in, I want to say Minnesota, maybe it's Wisconsin. I can't remember. It's one of those Northern states, but his name is Joe. Um, he's Attila the fun on Twitter. This nice. one is for you because well, you over. seem to, you seem to love Tim's stuff. So this one's for you. All right. That's going to wrap us up here. And it's also going to wrap up the show. Y'all know the drill. Get over to Bloody Elbow. Read our stuff. Get to our Substack. Subscribe, please. Everything helps. And until next time, please stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the Sixth Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.